first of all, it's a privilege to be able to be here. Thank you, Pastor Rich and Paula. And we just love the Fennells. Uh, we've known them for many, many years. And their children are very special to us, Hunter and Barrett and Riley. And we pray for them often. Uh, we pray for you as a church. Uh, we're all in this together. And it's a, a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you. My wife brings her greetings uh, and uh, she's at home and leading the praise and worship and taking care of the congregation along with our staff. Today, I want to introduce my son. I'll have him stand real quick. This is Luke. Uh, he's 29 years old, and I want to say that it's a wonderful privilege uh, to have my 29-year-old son. Not many 29-year-olds want to travel with their dad uh, to, uh, hey, let's, what are you going to do? I'm going to go preach at a church. Hey, hey, I'll come. And so it, it's really special to have him. And we're doing some other things also just to enjoy the amenities of North Carolina. And so I'd like to pray, uh, but I want to invite you to find Genesis chapter 3 before I pray, and then Philippians chapter 3, Genesis 3, Philippians 3. Those are going to be the two texts that I'm going to be reading from here in a moment. So, Father, over the next few minutes, I thank you that we can just consecrate and dedicate ourselves unto sitting under your word. And I thank you that your word is going to go forth this morning. I thank you you're watching over it. It will not return void. It will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. And I thank you that each and every one of us has ears to hear and hearts that are welcoming and receiving of the word, and that, Lord, we would find application of the truths that we hear today. Help us in every way possible to bring you glory and honor, and we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. My subject matter this morning, if you're a note taker, is the importance of questions, and in order to understand the origins or the importance of questions, I believe we need to go back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis 3, we're going to take a look at a story, but I want you to include yourself in this text this morning. Let's not read it as if we're reading from outside observers, but we want to be a part of the narrative of the story as it unfolds. And I believe that if you'll do that, there'll be a portion of the story that you'll be able to relate and identify with. I also want to remind you as we read this portion of, of, of Scripture that accountability questions are the most challenging for us. They are very, very challenging for us, but they're the most healthy questions that someone can ask us. Because when someone asks us the hard questions, the accountability questions, they provide an opportunity for us to grow in character and also to grow in stature. No, you're not going to grow any taller, but you're going to grow a lot bigger on the inside. And so let's get into our text, Genesis chapter 3. Once again, the title is The Importance of Questions. 1 through 13 is going to be my reading. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die." Well, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sowed 
uh, fig leaves together and made themselves covering. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And God add his blessing to his word. Amen. We see in this account, there's so many rich truths, but for today's uh, uh, message, I, I want us to really focus in on the interaction and the dialogue and the conversation that God is having with Adam and Eve, because we can learn a lot by, you know, just being in, in that environment and just placing ourselves in the scene. So just imagine you're somewhere in this scene and maybe you're even, you know, a part of it. And, and here comes these questions that God has for Adam and Eve. And, and when he's asking these accountability questions to, to them, it's because he's trying to get them to understand that what they just did was going to be costly. Uh, while he was going to be graceful, while he was going to be merciful, there are still consequences for certain decisions that we make. And and I know that that God is a God of the of the second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance, and I believe that wholeheartedly. But I also know that if you keep pushing the limits with God, there comes a time where you can exhaust the mercy and the grace of our Lord. And even though it's new every morning, you can't tempt him over and over and over and over again and continue to grow and mature. And we know that that hinders us. It doesn't hinder God, it hinders us. I want you to hear that. It hinders us because it does something to our conscience. It sears it. It becomes hardened. We become, you know, distant from God. And so here it is, the first account of this conversation that God is having with Adam and Eve. And we get to, you know, we get to be a part of it. And so they have now acted and believed on a lie. And this moment of accountability with this question is, uh, is so key, is so key in, in this text. And I, I want to remind you that the Lord never asks a question because he needs an answer, he needs insight, or he needs counsel from us. He asks questions in order to help us to learn, to grow, and to mature, and not to continue to make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, I think that all of us make honest mistakes in life. I've made a lot of mistakes, you know, out of innocence, uh, just youthfulness. I've made mistakes out of ignorance, a lack of knowledge. Uh, you know, I, I've made mistakes in my life. Uh, but I also know that if I intentionally know to do good and I don't do it, that that's a level of, of disobedience that, that God holds me accountable to. See, if I'm innocent and I just don't know any better, and, uh, and I'm, I'm young and I'm immature, God is going to give me time and space to grow up, to figure some things out, and to begin to walk in the light. If I lack knowledge, he's going to give me instruction. He's going to give me insight. He's going to help me. But when I'm willfully disobedient, I know to do good and I don't do it, then he holds me accountable. He holds all of us accountable. All right, and so when when I say that you know uh, the Lord comes, he he came because he had already given them parameters in which he wanted them to live. 
He had given them, you know, a perfect environment in which they, uh, all their needs were taken care of, and yet they, they chose, they chose to do the one thing that God asked him not to do. Have you ever done that as a child? Have your parents asked you not to do one thing and you just skipped over that like that didn't include you? Maybe he's talking to the other siblings. Maybe he's talking to my brother and sister. He's not talking to me. And you just go ahead and do it. And then later your parents find out and then what do they do? They ask you questions. And the accountability questions, once again, are the most challenging for anyone to ask and anyone to answer. They're not easy. Most parents do not want to have to ask the accountability question. They want their children to learn by instruction. But we don't always learn by instruction, do we? So sometimes we learn because someone asks us questions. And in God's from God's perspective, he's not asking these questions because he needs an answer. He already knows the answer. He's going to see if we're going to be honest with him. He's going to see if we're going to be truthful. He's going to see if we're going to own and take responsibility for our actions. And, and let me remind the young people in here, if your parents are asking you accountability questions, they already know the answer. They just want to know where your relationship is. How are you responding to them? How are you interacting with them? Are you running from them? Are you running to them? Do you realize that what you did hurt the fabric of your relationship and you don't like that and you want to maintain a tender heart and you run to them and you confide in them and you listen to them and you take responsibility or you just completely put it, you know, on the curb? And, and each and every one of us, I think, uh, can sort of identify or relate with any one of those examples. But to continue to move forward into this text, when the Lord comes and he is, he is coming for the purpose of counseling and encouraging his children. So these are the three questions that he asked, and I think that they're, they're great questions. The first one is, where are you? And, and at location, I mean, where in the world are you at? What in the world is going on? And have you ever had anyone ask you that? I, I remember the first time that, that I was given a responsibility by my stepdad, and he said, I need you to go over and I need you to mow so-and-so's yard. And I said, hey, it's done. It's as good as done. And, and I, I had all the good intentions in the world, but I didn't have good follow-through. And so I knew where the lawnmower was. I knew how to start it. I knew how to push it. I, I mean, I was capable of doing it. He didn't ask me to do something that was beyond my maturity level. It was right in my wheelhouse. I could mow the lawn. But guess what? There was an opportunity that came up for me to go play baseball. Guess what I did? No, I didn't mow the lawn. You're right. You're brilliant. I went and played baseball. So the lawn didn't get mowed. And in my mind, I never would have imagined that he would have driven by the house to see if I would have followed through with what he asked me to do. But lo and behold, he did. He drove by the house and the lawn wasn't mowed. You know how the lawn wasn't mowed? Didn't have the lines on it. He knew the lawn wasn't mowed. I mean, it, it didn't take a rocket science. So then he comes home and he asked me, Doug, did you mow the lawn? Now, he already knew the answer to the question, but I didn't know that he knew. Because sin makes us stupid. Disobedience makes us dumb. And all of a sudden, I was like trying to pull the wool over his eyes. And he was like, did you mow the lawn? Do you remember what I asked you to do? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, you fumble around and you can't, you're trying to spin it. You're trying to, and you know, the more you talk, the deeper you get. I mean, just give me the shovel. And then finally, I'm like, throw the shovel away. All right, I didn't mow the lawn. All right. So there was some consequences for it. Now, that did not mean that I was out of relationship with my stepdad. It meant I was out of fellowship. 
And the only way I could get that fellowship back was if I was willing to take responsibility for my action. I was still a part of the family, but I was suffering for the consequences of my disobedience. And see, I, I want you to hear that. So let me say it again. When we willfully disobey and God comes with the accountability questions, he is not trying to disown you. He is not trying to get you out of the family. He's trying to remind you, you belong to a family and that everything that he says to us matters and it's for our good and he wants that relationship with us. But our fellowship is hindered or hurt until we're willing to confess and to take responsibility for the things that we've done towards him, that we, we knew we shouldn't have done. So now sin has entered into the story of mankind. It's, it's now made its grand entrance, and here is the fruit of sin and disobedience. Fear, regret, shame, guilt, and blame. Let me say that again. Fear, regret, shame, guilt, and blame now begin to shape human behavior towards God. It that quick. Because God said, the moment that you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. Bam, they were separated from God. And now, what fills that vacuum because they're separated from God? Fear, regret, shame, and blame. All of those things. So here's what they did. Here's the fruit of fear, regret, shame, guilt, and blame. They draw back and isolate themselves. They run and hide. Have you ever done that? Knew to do good, didn't do it. Knew the instruction that was given to you. And now, instead of drawing near, you're drawing back. And that's what Adam and Eve did. They began to draw back. Second, they covered their sin. They covered their sin. And the third is they began to blame others. So if you can relate to this, or if you've ever disobeyed God's command, then I want to give you three things that you can do to reestablish your relationship and your fellowship with your Heavenly Father. The first thing is, don't run from God, but run to God. Draw near to God. You know, sin causes us to draw back, but when you understand that the Lord is calling you to come to him is what he was asking Adam and Eve to do and all of us to do, then we begin to draw near to God. Secondly is just confess your sin, be honest, be truthful, confess your sin. And the third is take responsibility. Take responsibility for the things that you knew to do and you didn't do. And it, it will. It, there's a cleansing with that. And there's a renewal that comes from that. You know, our secrets are what destroy us because there's no secrets with God. Everything is open and naked with Him. And, and it's the secrets in relationship that cause our relationships to suffer and to fail. It's the things we're not willing to talk about. You know, sometimes I say to people when I'm having an accountability conversation, it's not what you're saying that I'm concerned about. It's, not, it's what you're not willing to talk about. It's not what you're saying that I'm concerned about. It's what you're not willing to talk about that I'm concerned about. You're giving me part of the story, but not all of the story. That's why if you're ever a witness, you know, in our judicial system, they say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Because that's the only way that things, good decisions can be made and a just decision can be rendered. And so with the Lord, if we have stepped away from the Lord, if you're running, if you're isolating yourself, I want to encourage you not to do that because he who isolates himself does it to his own harm. 
When you isolate yourself and you run from the one who can redeem you, who can forgive you, who can cleanse you, who can strengthen you, then you're only hurting yourself, your own growth, your own maturity. When you're not confessing your sin, when you're not willing to take responsibility for your action, you're the one that stifles or stymies your own potential, not the Lord, us, us. And so these are the things that I encourage you to consider, to really ponder, and to meditate on this morning. I want to fast forward right now and move into the ministry of Jesus because I want to share with you that in the four Gospels, there are over 100 questions that Jesus asked. So Jesus is God. How many believe that? He's God in the flesh. I believe that. Born of a virgin. I wholeheartedly believe that. So Jesus is God in the flesh. And once again, just as a reminder, Jesus is not asking questions because he needs someone to counsel him, he needs understanding, or he needs answers. He's asking questions to help us to learn and grow and mature. And so he asked over 100 questions. Let me share with you the first question that Jesus asked in his ministry. What is it that you seek? That's the first question that Jesus asked. What is it that you seek? Everybody's looking, everybody's longing, everybody is drinking from some type of well in life. And either the well has living water in it or it's dead and it's nasty water. Everybody's drinking from a well. All right, so what is the well that you're drinking? What are you seeking? What are you longing for? What are you looking for? So Jesus was asking a question because you'll understand why here in a moment. He's asking that question. But here's some other questions that he asked. Who do you say that I am? That's very personal. Who do you say that I am? This is a great question. Do you believe? God doesn't have grandchildren or great-grandchildren. God has children. So you may know what your parents believe, what your grandparents believe. You might even know what your church believes, but what do you believe? And it's interesting, you know, that, that Jesus brings it down to the individual level when he's asking these questions. These are very specific, and they're geared towards individuals. Here's a great question. Do you want to be well? Have you ever read through the Gospels, and the blind people come to Jesus, and he asks them, what do you want me to do for you? Do you want to be well? Because some people don't want to be well. Some people want to maintain an identity where where it, it, you know, where the brokenness is their identity, not the wholeness. And because if they ever become healthy, then they're fearful that they won't succeed because their whole life they've been dependent on others. People that are in codependent relationships are always handicapped and crippled in life. And, and because they depend on somebody else, and that hinders or hurts their personal growth and development. So when Jesus asks, do you want to be well? He's just saying, what can I do for you? Because I can do anything. But once I do it, then I expect you to go out and live differently. And some people, unfortunately, they want to be made well, but then they don't know how to live well. And thank God for the people that are here today. And I just am so humbled to be able to you know, rejoice in your progress those that are in the program that, that Pastor Rich acknowledged, I can't tell you what a big supporter I am. I've been going into the penal system. I've been going into the juvenile and, and uh, into the jails, uh, county jails. I, I go into federal prisons. I, I've got all of my credentials and paperwork through Chuck Colson, who, who uh, 
So I can go to any prison system in the United States and show up and visit anyone and into any institution. And this is, this is what I've learned. The only difference between them and me is him. They just don't know him. That's why Jesus said, when you visit them, you visited me. When you feed them, you fed me. And I, I, I just rejoice in the progress that people are making because of Jesus. So here's another great question. Why are you so afraid? What's at the root of your fear? Why did you doubt? Do you still not understand? Are you going to leave also? Where are your accusers? What does the scripture say? So I gave you the first question that Jesus asked is, what is it that you seek? Let me give you the last question that Jesus asked. Do you love me? What is it that you seek? Do you love me? Bookends. Everybody's seeking someone, but when you seek, eventually you're going to find. I know for years in my life, I drank from the wrong well. I just didn't know Jesus. I knew about Jesus. You know, I was part of a denominational church, a mainline denominational church, and, and I was a CNEer. You know what a CNEer is? Christmas and Easter. That's when I went to church. You know, after confirmation, there was no need. That was like high school graduation. No need to go back unless you're going for a wedding or a funeral, Christian or, or Christmas or Easter. That's when I went to church. But I had a coach that came into my life when I was getting ready to go from the eighth grade to the ninth grade, and he started an FCA huddle group in our school. And through FCA and the ministry of FCA, I came to faith in Christ. And then six months later, I went to a concert. Janie Grime came to, the, to our town with her husband, Bill. They held a gospel concert, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And then at the age of 15, I felt a call in my life to serve the Lord. But up until that time that I came to know the Lord, I came from a broken home where my father made promises he never kept. He promised to come watch me, you know, in my sporting events, and he never showed up. My dad didn't see me play baseball till I was 22. I was traveling, playing semi-pro baseball. My dad came and saw me, and, and, and in the course of the game, I was pitching uh, about the fifth inning, I got pulled, and I'm walking into the dugout, getting ready to get iced and getting ready to go down and chart pitches in the bullpen. And as I'm looking up into the grandstands, my father is walking out of the stadium. So I had a lot of insecurities, and I could mask them by being loud, by being having presence. But I still was a very broken individual. And I was very sneaky and I was very manipulative. And my mother knew it. My mother was a, is one of my heroes. She would ask me accountability questions. I was always honest with my mom. I'll always be honest with my mom. She was one of the people that I felt safe around. But I was seeking. And when I found Christ, I began to drink from a different well. And then this last question, do you love me? That's a great question, isn't it? Do you love me? And I think love has, there's, it's measurable. Do you love me? And one of the ways that God measures our love is, well, if you love me, keep my commandments. So there's a way to measure, 
our love for, the God, for God is by faith we serve him and we obey him, not out of duty or obligation. It's not a ball and chain. God's not keeping score. God is for us, not against us. But that question is really a valid question in life. Do you love me? Because many times when in pastoral ministry throughout the years, I've shared with people, I don't think that we ever need to question God's love for us. I think people need to understand the love of God, accept the love of God, be changed by the love of God, encounter the love of God, experience the love of God, know the love of God, right? But once you've done that, once you've had that moment with Christ and you know that he loves you unconditionally, you know that you can come to him as your savior, then the question going forward is never, does God love me, but how much do I love God? How much am I willing to obey him, to follow him, to serve him, to do his will? Because love is measurable and love grows. Love is known as a fruit of the spirit. Have you ever had uh, seen a tree, a yearling tree, and, and it's not going to produce fruit the first year. A fruit tree doesn't produce fruit depending on the type of tree it is, usually till the fifth to the seventh year. Then it begins to bring a harvest. But all the capacity of fruit is there the whole time, but the fruit doesn't really mature and ripen and come onto that, that particular tree until it matures and grows, and then it has the capacity to bear fruit. Now, that tree's always been a fruit tree, will always be a fruit tree, but we're going to be known by our fruit, and the first fruit of the life of a Christian is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Everything works and is, is, is in our life because of love. Nothing works without love. Your faith works by love. Every relationship that you have grows and matures because of love. But love is measurable. I can love someone to a degree, and that degree can grow to another degree, another degree, another degree. And you know who we, we love the most? Listen, those that we trust the most. Now, I like a lot of people. I can love someone to a degree, even though they've done me wrong, even though they said things about me, even though they, you know, maybe misused my name or, or did a character assassination on me. I can love them with the love of God, but do I trust them? Well, not necessarily, but the more that you begin to trust somebody and develop that trust, the greater your love for that individual grows. So when you think about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and trust, and, 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 and heart, mind, and soul, then what you're thinking about is, I can trust God with every part of my life. I can trust him with my spirit, with my soul, with my body. I can trust him, and I love him. And that, that happens over time and as you get to know him. So I'm getting ready to really button this down, but I, I want to give you some things that you can really take with you and apply to your life. So when it comes to asking questions, I, I want you to understand that we can probably all agree that Jesus is in a category all by himself. He knows the beginning from the end, but honestly, let's be honest about this, we don't. We, we don't. Sometimes we ask questions not, not like, like we're not like God. You know, God asks questions not to get counsel, not to get insight, not to get answers, but we have to ask questions along those lines. So there's two important reasons why questions are important for us to ask. Number one is so that we can gain understanding, knowledge, and wisdom. If you don't know something, you don't know something. If you don't understand something, you don't understand it. If you lack insight or wisdom, you have to ask questions. 
Don't let your pride prevent you from asking questions. We ask questions because we need to know. We need to understand. We need wisdom. Secondly is that good questions help us to locate people that we do love and to identify what their desires truly are. What are your desires? So when we are thinking about good questions and why good questions are so important relationally for us is because it keeps us connected to people. Husbands and wives ask questions to one another almost unconsciously. Where are you going? What are you doing? Who have you been with? You know, and, and, and how was your day? How are you feeling? Is there anything that I can do for you? These are questions. They're, they're, they're based on, I need to know what I can do for you. I need understanding. I need wisdom. I, I can't read your mind. You're going to have to help me. So in one sense, you know, we have to understand God is in this category all by himself, and we, we have to be careful never to bring him down to our level, but allow him to bring us up to his level. And, and so many people that I've met, no one likes to know it all. And so many people that I met that have all the answers, that have all the wisdom, that have all the counsel, don't have any friends. No one can relate to them. They're unrelatable. They're unreal people. As a matter of fact, there's the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How many of you know the blessed three in one? And then there are those individuals. They're, like, they're a, a weird oddity, a morph of, the, of, of divinity. And they know everything. They have all the answers to all the questions, all the insight, all, all the wisdom, all the counsel. And no one, no one likes being around them. Can you identify? Who do we like being around? People that are learning, growing, and maturing like us. People that are sharing their life, their experiences, their insight, their knowledge, their mistakes, as well as their victories. I can relate to people like that. I don't need another God in my life. I have a God. His name is Jesus. But I need people to ask me good questions, and I need to be able to ask other people good questions because I don't know everything. Thing, and neither do you. I need insight. I need understanding. I need to hear from them. I need to be uh, uh, available so that they feel like, all right, I can confide. They care about me. They're interested in me. They want me to succeed. They want me to go forward. You know, the hardest thing to do sometimes, though, is answer questions because we feel like the white light is on us. Like, why are you asking me all these questions? Don't you trust me? Don't you believe in me? Don't you? And, and the only way that those, those situations can ever be remedied is when you have a healthy environment where there are people that are willing to communicate and be truthful and be honest with one another, where there's no secrets. There's no secrets. My wife and I share... Uh, because of technology, she sees every text that I get. As a pastor, I feel like that's very important because I'll have a lot of different people that text me. My wife sees every text that I get. Uh, we share a social media page. We're not social media people, but we have a page just because we want to be like, say we have a page, so we have a page. We don't do a lot of posting on it. And uh, But that way, I know where... What she's getting, she knows what I'm getting. And, and we work together as a team. The two are one, right? Husband and wife, the two are one. So we don't have secrets because we've under, we understand, right? We're covered in flesh. I'm tempted. She's tempted. There's things that sometimes I forget. 
that she needs to know and vice versa. So questions and, and having those, those safety nets in our life relationally are very, very important. All right, asking good questions prevents us from making, here's a big word, assumptions. I mean, I just can't assume. I have to ask questions. I have to ask questions. When good questions are asked and truthfully answered, they help people find solutions to problems. We have problems. We need solutions. Questions help us to solve those problems. They empower people to overcome past regrets. Anybody ever dealt with guilt or condemnation? You ever regretted anything that you've done or said? When Jesus said, you know, what are you seeking? Well, I'm seeking peace. I'm seeking reconciliation. I'm seeking forgiveness. Well, those come many times in the format of questions that we're having with people, like, have I hurt you? Did I say something that offended you? Do I need to do something? Did I forget to do something? Should I have done something? I'm sorry I missed. Do you understand where all of this is coming from? So many times we, we just sort of don't even see the value of how important questions are. God starts it off with questions in his word. Jesus asks over 100 questions. And, but, and that's a model that helps us and makes us to be better people. And here's something that's very important. When we ask good questions, we get rid of fear in our relationships, all the condemnation that comes with fear, and we're also able to overcome addictive habits and to see the cycle of deception broken off of our lives. In the end, people find faith when they ask good questions, and they find courage to move forward. They go from being spectators in life to participants in their life because they gain confidence. When someone knows something, when someone understands something, when someone has insight or, or, or knowledge about something, they're able to do something. Uh, a, a, young, a, a young child that maybe wants to learn how to play catch, would you, would you play catch with me? That's a question. Would you play catch with me? Would you, would you help me learn how to play catch? A young lady may model, model her mom in the kitchen, could you teach me how to cook? Could you teach me how to bake? Now, those are questions. What, what happens in that environment is someone is learning and growing. We call it mentorship, discipleship, but someone is growing and learning. All right. Are you guys about ready for the big finale? I want to share with you a quick nugget. If you're a note taker, write this down. There's a way in which we can transfer knowledge and wisdom and understanding that we have to others. And it's done this way. I do, I do, and you watch. I do, you help. You do, I help. You do, I watch. You can teach anyone to do anything if you have those four principles. That's discipleship. Jesus did, the disciples watched. Then Jesus did, the disciples helped. Third is that the disciples did, and Jesus helped. The third, and this is where we are today, disciples are doing, and Jesus is watching. You can teach someone how to mow the lawn, do the dishes, wash the car, paint a house, If you understand, and all of that comes about, would, would you help me to learn some of the things that you learn? Would you welcome me into your life? Would you show me how you do that? Could you teach me? Good questions bring about 
good solutions. So God desires one thing from us when he's asking us questions. Have a willing heart. Be teachable. Have a teachable attitude. Be humble. God does not impose his will on on us. He doesn't impose his, his ways on us without our permission or consent, which is a good reminder to us that we can't be a part of someone's life without their permission. You know, someone's running from you, isolating themselves from you. If someone's blaming someone else, if someone's not willing to confess and take responsibility for their actions, it's really hard to have a relationship with that person until that relationship is restored. And that's what the Lord wants for us. So in Philippians chapter 3, this is my final reading, Philippians chapter 3. And thank you for listening and considering what's being taught from the Word of God. There's so much to this and so many wonderful examples and illustrations. And, and my prayer is that, that you would have received something today that you can walk out of this service with and apply to your life. And you can see your relationships enhance, your relationship with God, your relationship with your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, and that uh, we would all be a little bit more humble and pliable and teachable before the Lord. And I, I know that's something that I desperately need in my life. I, I need to really be more open and receptive. And so here we are, Philippians chapter 3, and this is the Apostle Paul. He says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted for loss. The word counted is an accounting term. It's used twice in the text I'm going to be reading. Yet indeed, I also found all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. The word counted there is once again an accounting term. And so what he's saying is when the books are open and I do a comparison and I look at debits and credits, boy, I'll tell you, having Jesus in my life was one big, wonderful deposit. And he said, everything else is, is really rubbish. And verse 9, and he says, and to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So in this text, there are four good questions that we can ask ourselves and those who are a part of our lives. And these questions, when prayerfully answered, uh, they give us a path to walk on to live for the Lord. Here are the four questions that come from this text. What do you want to know? Have you ever asked yourself, what is it that I really want to know? What do you want to know? All right, what do you want to do? Number three, what do you want to experience? And number four, what do you want to become? What do you want to know? In this text, Paul said, I want to know him. As a Christian, that should be our number one desire. I want to know him. I want to know more about the Lord. I know him, but I want to know him more. Right, that's a great question. What do you want? All right, number two, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Paul said, I, I, want to, I want God to be glorified. Everything in my life up until this time compared to him is rubbish. I, I want my life to be on a different trajectory, and I, I want to glorify the Lord. I want to bring him honor. For so many years of my life, I didn't bring God honor. I want to, my life going forward now to represent him and to bring him glory and honor. All right, the third is, what do you want to experience? What do you want to experience? Well, everyone wants to experience God's blessing, God's provision, God's guidance in our life. Well, 
position yourself accordingly. If that's what you want, then get in that place and stay in that place. And if you get out of place, get right back into place. And four is, what do you want to become? I want to become more like him. Isn't that your desire or goal? So when I accepted the Lord, it was 1976. So 86, 96, 2006, 2016. And now we are here, here we are at 20. So 47 years ago, 47 years ago, I became a Christian. And you know how much I know about God? Not as much as I like to know. Because for the rest of eternity, I am going to get to know him. Because he already knows me inside and out. So why do I run and hide from him? He already knows all the things that, that I said I was going to do and didn't do. Just like I didn't mow the lawn. He already, God already knows. What, what is he looking for? A relationship. You know, I've been married to my wife for 32 years. I can't wait for the, for the next 32 years. I know her to a degree. I want to get to know her more. So, I mean, how far do you want to go with the Lord? How deep do you want to go? How deep do you want your roots to go? How deep do you want your well to be? Well, that's determined by us, not by God. God is always available. He never slumbers or sleeps. So he's always, always, always available, always on call. What do you want to experience his blessing? What do you want to become? I want to become more like him. And I pray that that's your heart's desire too. You can know him to a degree and you can know him more. You can know as you are known. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for the counsel of your word and I thank you that, Lord, your word will fall on fertile soil and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold and we're careful to give you the glory and the honor. And thank you that you're the instructor and, and we're the pupil, we're the student. And uh, we just want to be more like you, our master. And we know as we sit at your feet, we become more and more like you. And that's our desire. And may we take the knowledge that we have and, and use it to serve others. And may we never, Lord, run from you or hide from you. May we always know that you're for us and that you love us. And yes, your consequences are fair. But Lord, it's your fellowship that we desire more than anything else. It's your fellowship. It's your fellowship. And we don't want sin to hinder our fellowship with you in any way. So we love you and thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, amen.